So, we're in 2020, but kind of let's wind the clock back in your imaginations, two and a half thousand years. We're going back to 446 BC. We're going back to Iran, Persia. And down there in the uh, summer capital, winter capital, in Susa, uh, there's our man for today, Nehemiah. Who's doing my slides? There will now be a short intermission while the uh, ice cream ladies come around. So we're Sousa, not the man who wrote all those songs and for bands to play, but Sousa down in Iran. Uh, Nehemiah is a trusted advisor to King Artaxerxes. He's part of the king's inner circle with a title of cupbearer. This didn't mean that he was some kind of high-class waiter or sommelier, uh, but almost certainly that he had a senior position within the king's entourage. He had status and wealth and security and prospects. But in the year 446, BC, he's a troubled man because as we, you heard last week, news has been brought to him of the poor state that the city of Jerusalem is in. Actually, it probably isn't news to him at all. He would have known that anyway because it was common knowledge amongst the remnant of people, the Jewish exiles that were still living in Persia. But for whatever reason, this time the report comes back it breaks into his security and the comfortable life he's leading, and it troubles him greatly. You know, sometimes we hear or read the same things over and over again, and it doesn't have much of an impact. But then suddenly the words that we hear or read, it may be scripture, but it may be something else, take on a new life and a new urgency. And we know that we've got to do something about it. We've got to respond. And that's how it was with Nehemiah. Who knows, today might be a day like that for you or for others in this church. Certainly, across the world, it will be true for many people that they are responding in a new way, a fresh way, to something they've maybe heard before, but they're responding to the call of God today. Now, Nehemiah almost certainly had never actually been to Jerusalem, the city of his ancestors, its gates and walls have been destroyed 150 years ago. So kind of like 1870, our equivalent. Long, long before he was born. But this godly man, who is open to the voice of God, is challenged by the shame and disgrace that is on Jerusalem. But meanwhile, back in Jerusalem... Roughly a thousand hard, grueling miles away, the people living there are carrying on with their lives. Some families never left Jerusalem when it was uh, overrun and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Some more families returned when Cyrus the Persian king allowed the exiled, or many of the exiles, to go back. So there is a functioning community in Jerusalem. Homes have been restored and built, and fitted out, and enlarged. En suites have been added, rooftop conservatories installed, and lofty conversions put in place. But the walls are in ruins. It's true that 70 years ago, 
a previous, a few years ago, a previous generation, yes, it was 70 years ago, had restored the temple, but then the walls are still in ruins. An attempt was made a few years back to start rebuilding the walls, but there was some opposition to it. And the king at the time said, no, 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 you've got to stop building. So that's what they did. They downed tools, beat a retreat. And since then, no one has dared rebuild it. Or perhaps no one's been that bothered about it. A mixture of fear or apathy and concern for their own needs has prevented this great project, this city of David, being restored. Now, as you well know, if you know anything about this story, the story of the build, rebuilding of the ruined walls of Jerusalem or the story of the rebuilding of the temple can easily be used by any uh, church or leader to do with a church building project. Anything that is to do with the, a building for the worship and glory of God and the proclamation of his name. So those in, involved in the rock project are not the only ones to draw inspiration from this book and from the man Nehemiah. But the story is not a how to do a building project, although there is element of that there. Any situation which causes us grief, which disturbs us because it's not right, which challenges our faith, can be likened to the ruined walls of Jerusalem. People ravaged by the effect of sin, whether it's their own or others. A natural world messed up and exploited. People who are vulnerable and at risk of abuse and exploitation. Any one of these situations can be accepted and lived with because there's stuff in our own lives to get on with. Or they can be challenged and changed by individuals who feel the hurt of them and the injustice of them and who will step up to the mark. That's what prompted the pioneer missionaries. It's what prompted Wilberforce on his anti-slavery campaign. Shaftesbury, when he did so much to protect little children in factories and mines. Clive and Joe, and their work within Rich. Peter Haywood and the handful who started Genesis. The Eagles people working in the rural communities of Malawi, and so on, and so on, a thousand, thousand times. And you know other situations that are close to your heart where sort of somebody's taken something in their hands and stepped up to the mark to change it. And you've got situations now, it might just be one person you know, or it might be a whole community. But who knows if God is saying to you today, are you willing to be the one who will not ignore this, but will take it to heart and do something about it to the best of your God-given ability? Nehemiah was one such man like that. He took to heart the situation of a city he had never seen and then took it, as the hymn says, to the Lord in prayer. Prayer for about four months a long prayer. But he doesn't mean he was praying solidly for four months. No, in that time, as well as going about his normal business, his duties with the palace and the king, he was engaged in prayerful planning and preparation. To attempt anything significant for God 
nearly always requires prayerful planning preparation. You see, when on that day in 446 BC, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th, not a car, in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, when he decided, today is the day, I go to the boss and make a big ask, that didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't an impromptu one. There had been four months of prayerful preparation and planning. No doubt he'd been reading the scriptures as he had them at the time. And from his reading of the scriptures, he knew that the state that Jerusalem was currently in was not part of God's plan. Nor was it part of God's promise for the city or the people. And so he would have been asking himself, Lord, are you asking me to do something about this? What do you want me to do? Maybe to begin with he thought, oh Lord, I'll pray. I'm going to pray every day for Jerusalem. Then maybe he thought, well, I'm pretty well off here. I've got a good position. I could send some money. I'd get some contractors in to do the job. Although maybe he thought, well, I'd better go for myself and see what the situation is and reflect on it and then think what I can do. All good things in themselves. But then in his prayer, in his thinking, as he went about his business, it was coming to him that God was asking him to do more than that. God was asking him to be the architect to sort things out. And who knows what questions and concerns and objections went through his head. But in the end, he must have come to that conclusion. And he'd been thinking to himself, what will I need, Lord? Who can I get to help me in this project? What are the risks and dangers for me? What's it going to mean for me and my family? And so as best he could, he tried to find answers to some of those questions and others he would know there are not yet any answers. He didn't know how long it was going to take him. In fact, it took him 12 years he was away. But it ended in his mind and his spirit with, Lord, here I am, send me, use me. If God lays something on your heart or has laid something on your heart, you nearly always will need a season of prayerful preparation and planning. That goes for us as individuals and it goes for us as a church. Now, as far as the rock project is concerned, whatever else it may or may not have done right or wrong, it's certainly not shirked on prayerful preparation and planning. Seven years and still counting. But prayerful preparation and planning in challenging situations is not enough. To make the leap, to step out and to undertake anything significant from God it always requires courageous commitment. Now that is not, Chris Chatfield thought that was me. Well, I can assure you that is not me. I do not have that kind of courageous commitment. Did you notice when Paul was reading it, the little phrase in verse 2 of chapter 2? Nehemiah, it's an autobiography, wrote it, told us, I was very much afraid. It's one thing to know what you have to do, 
It's another thing to go and actually do it. I'm very fond of that Baptist 19th century minister Spurgeon. And I came across a phrase of his the other day. That's what we were doing with a children's sketch. A man is not a traveler because he puts a finger on a map. You can have done all the preparation in the world for a risky and dangerous journey. You've studied the route, you've bought all the equipment, you've recruited your teammates, but until you start out on that journey, it just remains a dream and a hope. A man is not a traveller because he puts his finger on a map. Nehemiah had done his preparation and his prayer and his planning And he had decided that the way to start this enterprise was to go straight to the top and make a huge ask. It was an ask which, unlikely as it seems to us, could have cost him his position and maybe even his life. Such was the nature of those kind of Asiatic courts, so it would seem that to appear anything other than calm and smiling in the presence of Artaxerxes was to invite trouble. I doubt if Nehemiah slept much the night before he went to the king with a long face. His heart would have been beating hard as he took the walk to work along the corridors of the palace and into the state room or the throne room. I don't know if any of you have done walks like that. You've been summoned by the chief executive or something by the bishop, for you know not what, um, or you're going for a job that you so desperately want, or you're going to the hospital to get the results of the tests. So it's a fearful beating heart. He was a courageous, committed man, and we know that because he told us he was very afraid and yet still went ahead with it. And to be afraid and to go ahead with something is the true mark of courage and commitment. So when Artaxerxes challenges Nehemiah as to why he's looking so mournful, Nehemiah knows this is a moment when things could go badly wrong for him and his family, hence his fear. But he doesn't hesitate. And by way of response, he comes out with a question back to the king, which is almost petulant. Uh, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Why shouldn't I be sad, he says, which must have given Artaxerxes a bit of a jolt. And no doubt the rest of the court who were standing around listening were thinking to themselves, whoa, did you hear what he just said? So he spoke to the king. He was fully committed. I expect you all know this story of the hen and the pig because it appears in lots of sermons. But the hen and the pig are discussing who makes the bigger contribution to a full English breakfast. The chicken thought she did, but the pig told her, no, 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 no. You're just involved, whereas I am fully committed. How did you make that out, was the hen's reply. Well, said the pig, Once you've laid an egg, you live to see another day and produce another egg. But I have to lay my life on the line for these humans to get their bacon. 
That's why I am 100% committed and you are just involved. Involved or committed to the work of the Lord? Where do you stand? Are you sometimes nervous or even afraid and fearful about what might be required and asked of you? Well, you're in good company. Anyone who's ever done anything for God has also shivered in their shoes at the thought of what they might have to do. Thankfully, in Nehemiah's case, on this occasion, his courageous commitment is met with a positive response from Artaxerxes, and the king says, okay, what do you want? That was the response Nehemiah had hoped and prayed for. And he knows what he's going to say because he's prepared and rehearsed for this moment. But even so, before answering the king, he allows himself, takes a breath, a short pause, in which he silently prays a prayer, probably something along the lines of, hello, thank you, Lord. Now, please bless these words and open the king's heart. Some people call these arrow prayers, short prayers that get fired off in an instant. So Nehemiah now has the floor and apparently the king's favor, and so he makes an audacious ask. To attempt anything significant for God nearly always requires an audacious ask. Again, did you notice how it preceded that conversation how he asks, first he makes the big ask. If it pleases the king, and if I find favor in your sight, send me to the city in Judah so that I can rebuild it. This is a big request. I want your permission to rebuild the city that has a reputation for rebelliousness. I want to rebuild the city that you yourself said 14 years ago should not be rebuilt. But to Nehemiah's relief, the king disarmingly asks, or is it the queen, and how long will you be gone? Wow. And Nehemiah gives him a time. I suspect that the time he gave him wasn't actually the 12 years that he really was gone. And then seeing how well things are going, because he's prepared, man, he comes up with it. Oh, and also, king, can you give me some personal letters to give to the key officials that I meet on my way so that I'll give me, they'll give me safe conduct. Oh, and uh, could you pay for most of the work? That would be really helpful if you could let me have the timber from your forests for the gates, etc. Wow, what audacity, what cheek. And the king even throws in some cavalry and some mounted troops to go with him as well. He gets what he asks for. And Nehemiah says, the king granted my requests because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. It's a lovely prayer to pray for people that. Lord, let your gracious hand rest upon so and so. And isn't it great when everything works out wonderfully well like that, as it sometimes does, but not always. Asking for things doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy to me. Um, I won't even ask for directions if we're lost. Asking for big things is even harder. Because we're not American, or I'm not sure, there might be one or two Americans, we find asking for money 
really hard. I have done it a couple of times in my life, both in church and in my work. Um, Once I was really keen to rebuild a secondary school in North London that I'd had a major part in closing down because it had fallen on hard times, a bit like Jerusalem. And no one wanted to go there anymore. And now the buildings were standing empty. So I had to go to the government and ask for permission to start a new school on the site of the school that had failed. And it had partly failed under the watch of the diocese, of which it was a part. That was a big ask to make. And I know that some of the senior civil servants were none too keen. But we did have the favour of the minister, a guy called Lord Adonis, sometimes pops up. So he said, look, let them do it. So the officials said, all right, you can do it, but we're only going to give you £5 million to refurbish uh, it. You'll have to make do with that. Now, that might seem a lot, but for a school of 1,000 pupils, it really isn't. But I thought, yes, I say, absolutely, we're not going to argue. Thank you, that's fine, great. And uh, we went off it, and we got the architects in, and we worked on it, and we knew it wasn't enough money, so I had to go back for some more asks, and in the end, we got £27 million. And it's become one of the top schools in the country. And uh, with a really strong Christian ethos, it's called Wren Academy, after Sir Christopher. Check it out if you want to. Asking money for rock doesn't come easy to me, or others involved in it, especially when I know how generous people are in this church, and when I know that not everyone is convinced that it's right, and when we think about all the other causes and needs that our money could go towards. And asking people from outside our church, the Artaxerxes of this world, to support us in what we're doing isn't easy either. But almost certainly, unless something happens, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute, unless uh, it's going to need to be done. And some of us will have to do it with gritted teeth, a forced smile, and even clenched buttocks. Of course, it will be so much easier if what has just happened to a church in York were to happen here. St. Michael of Belfry Church in York is the church I went to when I was a student there. It's the church where Guy Fawkes was baptised. And when I was there, its vicar was an extraordinary man, teacher and evangelist called David Watson and Patrick Whitworth, served his first curacy there. Well, they've got their own rock project, except they call it the Impact Project. Um, but instead of a mere £3 million, which is what ours is, theirs is 5 to £7 million. But two weeks ago, the church announced that an anonymous donor has agreed to fund up to £5.9 million of the project. Wow. Wow. And they're a bigger church than we are. It's gonna, it would be absolutely amazing and wonderful if something like that happened here. And it's not impossible. Um, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, but we may have to follow a different path and prove God in a different way and ourselves in a different way. And if that is the case, prayerfully, graciously, but not apologetically, and confident in God, we'll have to make the ask of lots of people internally and the Artaxerxes of this world. But there are other hard asks besides asking for money. 
asking someone you know who isn't a Christian if you would like, if they would like you to pray for them could be a hard ask. Asking someone you know, would you like to come to our Alpha course? Would you like to come and join us in a group? Asking someone within the church community for help for a problem that you haven't let other people know about can be a hard ask. Asking people to help you in some way rather than relying on you to do it yourselves can be a hard ask. And there are many other things. All of us have big asks in our lives. Sometimes we're just going to the Lord with it, but sometimes we have to go to other people. Now, if we were a church where anything less than a 40-minute sermon seemed like a mere thought for the day, I would keep going on for another 20 minutes to do the next part of the story of the chapter when Nehemiah actually gets to Jerusalem. I mean, it's a fantastic chapter, this. I really urge you to go back and look at it again. It's got so rich and so much in there. It's a wonderful instance of his inspired leadership and his ability to bring others with him as well as dealing firmly with opposition. But... Thankfully for you, over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing more about that. We'll see more of how he was able to bring the people of Jerusalem together and get them all working, and how he was able to deal with internal dissension and injustice, as well as the opposition outside, which was potentially life-threatening. It's a terrific story of a partnership between a spirit-filled man, a gracious generous God, and a people willing, at least for a time, to come together in unity, work hard, and give generously. So this man, who was into prayerful preparation and planning, because he put himself on the line with his courageous commitment, and because he did not shirk from an audacious ask, When he was challenged with a false charge, he was able to say, the God of heaven will give us success and we, his servants, will start rebuilding. Whatever God has put on your heart to do, whatever you're doing now, whatever you might do, I pray that you will draw inspiration from Nehemiah and start or continue with that work. And I pray too that we will be able to say unitedly in terms of the rebuilding of this church, the God of heaven will give us success. And we, his servants, will start rebuilding. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that your gracious hand is upon every person here that your gracious hand longs to bless us in so many ways in our lives. And you long to bless this church and see it flourish so that we are the means of rebuilding fractures in our community and in the world that we live in. So, Lord, help us to trust you, to be committed to you, to be bold for you, to be prayerful as we leave this place, as we go into next week. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.